0: Thanks for the history information this morning, Sean. It's so interesting to have that kind of background from the music and much appreciated. Heather just got a text from Phil Feinberg telling us about his mother, Nam He. She's been sick for the past three days, unable to travel back to Arizona. She's tested negative for COVID, but he sure would appreciate prayer for Nam He as his mother's staying with Anessa and with Phil. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do pray for Nam-He. Just ask your care upon her, help her to recover, and to be able to travel back to Arizona and be with Andy back there. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have your Bibles uh, ready to go this morning, and I encourage you to turn to the book of Joshua, Joshua 14. And we'll be ready from that portion. But before I read that, the portion that I'm going to read is from Psalm 71. This is the last message that we have on various groups in the Family of God series here at the chapel. We're talking about elderly folks in the assembly. And thank you that you have... Listen to these various messages and may God bless the message this morning. This is from Psalm 71, verse 17 through 18. O oh God, for my youth you have taught me and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all that come. That would be the theme of what I'm seeking to share this morning. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim Your might to another generation, Your power to all those that come. I'd like to say that the study of the elderly in Scripture has been such an encouragement to me, such a blessing to me, as these older ones have received blessings from God, as they have been blessed themselves and as they give blessings to others. We realize older people made mistakes in their lives, but God is gracious, merciful, and loving, forgiving, allowing those lives to be a blessing to us in their elderly years. May our thoughts this morning be an encouragement to all of us, no matter how old or young we are. Just a couple of stories about older age this morning. Betty McGeehee, that's Heather's mother, was teaching a good news club at her home and had done so for many years. She told the assembled children, I'm going down to Memphis, Tennessee to be with my mother. One little eight year old boy looked profoundly at her and said, Your mother must be awfully old. Then my mother, Kay Mikeley, was upstairs helping with children's ministry at the Bible Hour. She said to the kids during a particular activity, I'll have to stay in my chair. If I get down on the floor, I won't be able to get back up again. To which four-year-old Karen Meng said, Sure, that's because you're old. (laughs) So, some comments about being old today. You have your outlines here with you. And we have uh, four people listed. Three of the four people in the assembly has the same name. Caleb, Anna, and Lois. Uh, I haven't seen any little eyes running around here. If we can add one of those, then we'll complete the four that we have. Just the meanings of the names. Caleb means dog. Now, I want you to think about the loyalty, bravery, nobility, and steadfastness of the characteristics of dogs. Let me give you a few examples. Balto and Togo were dogs that were part of the diphtheria serum uh, dog not race, but dog uh, adventure to from uh, Anchorage, Alaska, out to Nome. Uh, many thousands of kids were going to die if they didn't have this uh, serum, and so the only way to get it there was by dog sled. Balto's the more famous of the two. He led the final 53 miles in the trip and got the serum there to its final destination. But Togo was another dog that led the dog sled for 265 out of the thousand miles in that trip. So both those dogs are so noble. The Iditaride dog race is, in a sense, uh, part of the memorial for that time back in 1925. There is a dog named Barry who lived in Switzerland from 1800 to 1812. There are 40 documented cases of Barry saving the lives of people that were either lost, trapped, or in some way disoriented in their trips in the Alps. And so those are the documented cases. There are many other cases that probably are undocumented. There's Bobby the Wonder Dog. Bobby Zigglemeyer, I don't know if you're on here, but it tickled me that we have Bobby the Wonder Dog. In 1923, August of 1923, the Brazier family went from near Salem, Oregon, to visit relatives in Walcott, Indiana, the little town that's, halfway between Chicago and Indianapolis and northwest Indiana. They took with them their collie English shepherd mix named Bobby. And Bobby was there, and as they were visiting in Walcott, three farm dogs pursued, chased, and attacked the collie uh, shepherd. And uh, off Bobby went, and he was lost. For the next three days, the family, and not just the family, but neighbors and others, searched for this lost dog, and they couldn't find him. Sadly, the family had to get back in their car and make the trip uh, back to Oregon. In February 1924, six months later, Bobby appeared at the Brazers there in Silverton, Oregon, having crossed 2,500 miles of the Midwest, Great Plains, Rocky, and Cascade Mountains. became a famous dog and uh, people extolled him. It was written up in Ripley's Believe It or Not. A little bit closer to our time, uh, a rescue dog named Tracker, T-R-A-K-R, was a dog used by the New York police to look for victims in the Twin Towers. He found the very last survivor of the Twin Tower crash, Janelle Guzman, and uh, she was pulled out of the rubble in Uh, On the next day, 9-12, Tracker suffered from smoke and chemical inhalation and had to be hospitalized for over two months. But he recovered and then continued on with his rescue work. I'd like you to think of dogs in that term, Uh, faithful, loyal, committed. Think of seeing-eye dogs, rescue dogs, therapy dogs, and thinking of dog in connection with Caleb glad we have Caleb here on nearly the front row. Caleb, we think of those kind of dogs when you think of you. Thanks for passing out these with your brother today. Being faithful and loyal. Barzillii means my iron or my strength. Anna means grace. And Lois means agreeable. Now with those thoughts and just a brief introduction, let's go to prayer. Father, we do come to you this morning thanking you for the older people that we have in our midst and ask your blessing care upon them thank you for the opportunity to minister on this topic today and pray that it will be a blessing to the folks that are listening as it has been to me as I've studied this topic and experienced the topic myself in my own own life father we do pray for several needs that we have we mentioned Nam he this morning we do pray for teddy we ask your care upon abe and joyce We pray for Jack. We pray for Kristen. Father, we pray for Mike and for the procedure that is planned, Mike Merritt, and the procedure that is planned in the next few weeks. Just commit each of these to you. We pray for Kathy Trenn, Lord. We miss her. Thank you that Susie Varghese is able to be with us today. These many physical ills, dear Lord, we commit them to you and ask for your help. We pray for those that are in need of help personally as far as relationships are concerned in the assembly. and Father, we uh, bring to you this day the care that we have in our own heart for those that are in Ukraine and the experience that's happening there. Help us be reminded today, dear God, that you are in authority and on the throne, that these things that are happening are for a purpose that we don't understand or contemplate that you use individuals even in positions of authority for your purposes, dear God. And so we bring the entire situation to you and ask for your mercy, grace, and help. We think of uh, Russian Christians and of Ukrainian Christians, perhaps that are opposing each other today. And so, Father, we just ask for your help in the sinfulness of this world and the need for your intervention. So we bring this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stone them to death! Kill them! Kill them both! We can't stand having them here in this awful report to lead us to our deaths. Stone them! Stone them both! Such was the language of the Israelites as they looked at Caleb and his fellow spy, Joshua. Joshua. You see, 12 spies have been sent into the promised land. And they found it to be just as God had promised. In fact, to demonstrate it, they brought a huge cluster of grapes from the valley of Eshkol back to the people. It was so large it had to be held in a stay between two men. And they came back and they said, it's just as God has reported. It's just as He said. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, with tremendous cities and beautiful areas, but there are... Giants in the land. If we try to go in there and take over, we're going to be like grasshoppers to them. They'll just crush us and we'll be killed. No, no, no. Please don't disobey the Word of the Lord. Those people are like bread for us. We just have to go up and attack. The Lord will be with us, says Caleb. And that's where the people cry, Stone Him! Joshua joined in with Caleb. No, stone them both and kill them. The only thing that intervened was God's intervention to save Caleb and Joshua at that moment. The background that we have for Caleb as we go along on our list is that he was born into slavery. In Egypt, born into slavery. And for 40 years, nearly 40 years, he was a slave. But then the good news of deliverance came to him by Moses. There is a way of salvation. God will deliver us from where we are. And the ultimate deliverance was deliverance from death. Because instead of Caleb having to die, another firstborn having to die, the Lord Jesus provided a way for them. God provided a way for them. And that is by a substitute Passover lamb being in their place. The blood of that innocent substitute would be shed. The blood would be placed on the door and the lintel. And those that were inside the house would be saved. The angel of death would pass over that home. But in the other homes, there was a death. Death of the firstborn. That salvation that Caleb experienced then brought him out of that place of slavery and into the place of blessing that God would have for him in the promised land. Now I want to bear testimony this morning and I would trust that it would be plain and clear. Each person that's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is exactly like Caleb. You and I were born into slavery. The slavery of sin. No matter how good or how noble or how intelligent or how winsome you are as a slave, you are still a slave. And that is the way it was for Caleb. No matter how many leadership skills you show, you're still a slave to sin. Until there is receiving of the blood of the Lamb. Not a small Passover Lamb in front of your home, but rather the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who took your place, who died on the cross for your sins and became your substitute. And now we joyfully and happily say, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And that's my position today. I am saved by the grace of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ and I trust it's your place today as well. That you recognize who you are. A sinner. A sinner that is under condemnation and under control of a terrible taskmaster, Satan and who is leading you to an eternity apart from God, into hell. But a Savior, a Deliverer has come, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And because of who He is and what He did, you have salvation from that slavery, and God now leads you to a promised land of blessing in His Son, Jesus Christ. That is my testimony today. I pray, dear believer, it's your testimony as well. That an innocent substitute died for you and you have received him. Now it's obvious that Caleb's a leader. Only 12 men were chosen from the various tribes. He's been 40 years in the wilderness. He's seen many things there in the wilderness. He's seen the miracles of God on a daily basis. The manna from heaven comes down. He's seen water come from a rock and supply the needs of the nation of Israel. He has seen a whole variety of other miracles, some of them of the judgment form, where entire groups of families are swallowed up by the earth because of their disobedience to God. He's seen a bronze serpent raised and people that are affected by the bites of snakes need only to look in faith at that serpent and they are healed. All of these things have been observed by Caleb. And he now comes to the promised land. Instead of being allowed to go into the promised land at that time, he now has to go for another 38 years through the wilderness until every one of that generation except for himself Joshua and some priests are allowed to go into the promised land. He fights for 5 years contending with a new leader that is being under the leadership of a new leader and that is Joshua. God saves. And they go into the southern portion, the middle portion, the southern portion, and the northern portion. Much of the land of Canaan is now under the control of Israel. And now it's time to distribute the fruits of their battle and of their labor in fulfillment of the promise of God. Let's read Joshua 14, 6. And it's the passages 6 through 15. We won't read it all. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua, Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to spite out the land. I brought him word that was again in my heart. Now let's go up to verse 10, the last part of verse 10. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I still am as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. My strength is now as the strength that I, that was then for war and for going and coming. So now, Joshua, give me this mountain in the country which the Lord spoke of in that day. I've been in Canaan. I was there 40 years ago. I fought here five years. Now, I've got a spot of land. It's the high country of Hebron, south of Jerusalem. That's what I want. That's what I claim. Joshua, I want you to give it to me. I'm saved. I'm in the promised land and now I'm claiming something that God can give to me and that's this high ground, this mountain. In our old age, you notice the pronoun, in our old age, we can still claim mountains. Mountains that we have not climbed before. You in your old age can still climb mountains. You're young people. You can be looking for those mountains to climb. God has mountains before you for you to claim and for you to have for your own. Let's make an application of this. What are the mountains that I have, I'll say in my life? What are the mountains God has for me? A mountain God has for me is to have an understanding of husbands' loves, love for their wife and marriage relationship. It's a mountain that God has shown to me and I need in my old age To climb and claim that mountain as I never have before in my life. There is a mountain before me, an awareness of women in the assembly as an elder in the Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that God can use the women here in the assembly and for me to have an understanding of that? It's a mountain I need to climb and a mountain I need to claim. May God give me understanding, sympathy, and wisdom in the mountains in my life before me. What are the mountains that you have in your life, dear older believer? Mountains of relationship. Mountains of health. Mountains of dependence on the Lord as you never have before. I have seen enough older people in the difficulties of health to know those mountains that have to be climbed. I used to think the greatest changes that a person experienced were the ones that when you were very young, learning to walk, learning to talk, all of those things, I've changed my thought on that. The greatest adjustments come at the end of life, the greatest mountains to climb. You're used to breathing all of your life just automatically. As you get older, that becomes a conscious effort on your part to draw breath. You're used to going from place to place again, thoughtlessly, your legs moving before you. That becomes an effort. As you get older in life, it is a mountain to climb. For my own dad's life, with about a month to go before he died, there's my father sitting in a hospital chair. And to disable him, they have taken a rag and they've twisted it gently around his legs so he can't get out of the chair. And I've been told by them, don't take that off your dad's legs. He should not be up. If he's up, he'll fall. And no one's here in the room to catch him. And my dad saying to me, my dad, my dad, the minor league baseball player, (laughs) my dad who had hit home runs there in the Palmer Park that went beyond everyone's reach with these huge 16-inch softballs. My strong, magnificent father, and there he is, weak in that chair, and he says to me, Phil, this is such a trial. What a mountain for my dad to climb at that time in his life. May God help all of us with the mountains we have before us. There's also the magnanimity of Joshua. Turn in chapter 15, to verses 13 through 19. According to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, he gave Caleb the son of Jephunneh the portion among the people of Judah. He gave him Kiriath Arba, which is Hebron, or Hebron. And Anak, the father of Anak, was there. That's a giant. Then Caleb says, This is about passing things on to the new generation, being mindful of the new generation. Whoever strikes Kiriath sephir that's a part of this area of Hebron, and captures it, I'll give Aksa, my daughter, to wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, captured it. And he gave, and that, let me give the, the nouns. And Caleb gave to Othniel, Aksa, his daughter, as a wife. Then, Aksa came to her father Caleb and she urged Othniel, her husband, to ask her father for a field. She got off her donkey and said, and Caleb said to her, what do you want? She said, give me a blessing since you have given me the land of the Negev, that is the dry desert land, give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. We have... 85-year-old Caleb now being mindful of a new generation who's ever young enough, strong enough, brave enough. You go up and capture this area that's part of my inheritance. I'll give you my daughter for marriage. And Othniel steps up. Othniel means the Lion of God. He's from the tribe of Judah. The Lion of the tribe of Judah steps up. And he goes up and he conquers this land. And the daughter of Caleb is given to him. And then the daughter says, ask my dad for more. (laughs) And so she goes and she says, give me not only this desert land here, but give me the springs of water. The value of water in the Middle East is still an issue to this day. How is it that we can raise crops? And so Caleb in his magnanimity for this new generation gives to his daughter and to his new son-in-law, Othniel, this refreshing and wonderful water. Dear ones, dear ones, don't be afraid to ask God for even more. God is a generous God who will seek to give to you. And then beyond that, there is the thoughtfulness by this elderly individual to think of the younger generation and all that's needed. That's how I need to be thinking as an older person. That's how all of us that are older here need to be thinking of providing for this younger generation now. We're not finished with Othniel. When it comes time for the judges, after Joshua and those of his generation have died, the nation of Israel slips into a terrible time where everyone does right in his own eyes. In fact, in uh, Judges chapter 3, I'll read this to you. Verse 7. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtaroth, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. He sold them into the king of Mesopotamia's hands, and they were there under his control for eight years. The people of Israel cried out, and the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel, the first judge. And who's that first judge? The lion of the tribe of Judah, Othniel. The one that is a picture of the true final deliverer, Jesus Christ. He's that judge. He delivers them because of the heritage that's been given to him by his father-in-law, Caleb, that old 85-year-old man. And what a blessing is there for the nation of Israel at this time. Othniel delivers them and they have peace for 40 years. Let's go to the next individual, and that is Barzillai, my iron. Turn to Second Samuel, chapter seventeen. Do you have the jars? What about the bowls? We need hundreds of them, you know. Let's take stock. I've got my list: wheat, barley, dried grain, beans, lentils, honey, cheese. We're feeding an army, you know. Blankets. Yes, I said blankets. An army not only has to eat, it has to sleep. We have no time to lose. I'm working with Shobi and Maker. We're trying to assemble all of this together. This may be my last act, but it's going to be my best. Long live the king. Long live King David, the anointed one, by the hand of Samuel the prophet. And so, Barzillai comes into the scene. <laughs> you know, I was thinking to myself as I'm making up this voice for this older man. You know, Phil, you don't have to change your voice at all. You're an older man already. So, <laughs> But there we have it. Let's read here in chapter 17, verse 27. David came to Maniham. Shobi the son of Nahash from Rabbah of the Ammonites and Maker the son of Amiel from Lodabar and Barzillai the Gileadite from Rogolim brought beds, basins, vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, lentils, honey, curds and sheep and cheese from the herd for David and the people who were with him to eat. The people were hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Barzillai now appears to us, and what a scene it is. Absalom, David's willful, rebellious son, has now successfully taken over the capital of Jerusalem. David, just the night before, barefoot, head covered, Weeping goes out of the city to the east up the Mount of Olives with a few loyal individuals that are with him. You have the priests, Abiathar and Zadok, that are loyal. Ahimez and Jonathan, their sons, are back in the city ready to run with word about what's going on. A visiting king, King Ittai, is there along with the Cherethites and the Pelethites. They're all on David's side. Hushai, the trusted counselor, wants to go with David, but David says, no, no, you go back in the city. If possible, give counsel that will delay Absalom in the city to give us time to get away across to the east side of the Jordan. The word now is loyalty. Who will be loyal to the king? The king in exile. The king In absolute desperation, who's going to be loyal to the anointed one? Now, let's talk about the background of this man, Barzillai. We'll discover that he's 80 years old later in the text. He's a highland chief. He's far away from Jerusalem and all of the intrigue and the ins and outs of political affairs there. He's built his own area of wealth and well-being. In his 80 years, he's seen a great deal of chaos there in Israel. He's seen the last years of the time of Judges where a Benjamite has to put his wife's parts in 12 donkeys' sacks and send them out to the tribes and say, this is what's taking place in this country right now. What are we going to do about it? He's seen Saul become king and the early victories by Saul. Then he has seen Saul fail as king. Fail in several ways to honor God and obey Him. He has failed God in starting to pursue a young man named David. David, as a musician shepherd boy, has as one is renowned there in Israel by defeating the giant Goliath. And the songs are sung: Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. And an intense jealousy comes into Saul. And he throws javelins at David and pursues him night and day trying to find him and kill him. And Barzillai witnesses all of this as does Israel. And then we see the death of Saul in fighting against the Philistines along with Jonathan and his other sons except one. And then we see a struggle for the throne. Many support David, but Abner, the general of Saul, Brings up Ishbosheth, the final son of Saul, and says, This is who should be king. He's the son of Saul who died. Ishbosheth is murdered, his head brought to David. David executes the men who did such a heinous crime. And now we have David installed, and David brings the capital to Jerusalem, and it seems that nothing can stop the armies of David for years. The armies advance north and south and east so that all the nations around him are bringing tribute to to David. And then he doesn't go out with the army. And he sees a beautiful woman and desires to bring her to himself. And he does. Don't you know that this is a married woman? of one of your generals, Uriah the Hittite, I want that woman. And David now in his position of authority controls the fate of that woman Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. And to cover it, David engineers the death of Uriah And then as judgment comes the death of the first baby that Bathsheba carries. And then we have the awful incident of incest in David's family. A son and a daughter of David, Amnon, desires for sexual intimacy a sister of his. Her name is Tamar. And he succeeds in this. And then he can't stand her and tells her to get away from him. And she, of course, realizes what's happened and she's in mourning. But her brother, Absalom, takes note and makes sure that this incestuous affair will not go unpunished. And sometime later, he gathers all of the sons of David and he executes, murders, Amnon. For three years Absalom is in in retreat, in escape from the control of David. He goes and lives with his mother's father. And then he comes back. The general David has has persuaded David to bring this man. Absalom back, and he's in Jerusalem for about four years. For two years, David won't see him at all. But then David does, and Absalom now starts to win the hearts of the nation of Israel. He drives around Jerusalem in a chariot with 50 men running before him. And when people come to see David, they say, what, what's your problem? Well, I've got a land dispute. Oh, if I were just a judge here in this land, I'd take care of it in favor of you. You've got a great case, and someone else would come. What's your problem? I, I, I'm in debt. I can't. Re- oh, if I were a judge, the debt's unjust. And if I were in control here, I'd take care of you. Your case is. And that's what Absalom did for two years. He sowed rebellion, and he won the hearts of Israel. And then in full flower. Absalom engineers this coup and he marches on Jerusalem succeeds in doing so and David is now on the east side of Jordan. The question is, who is on the king's side? Who's on David's side? Barzillai could really have reasoned, I'm old. I've got a good life here. I could get into a lot of trouble if I picked the wrong side. I'll stay out of this and I'll live out my days. Barzillai is openly, decisively in favor of the monarch, David. It's a time for loyalty and commitment. And without hesitation, Barzillai throws his whole weight, his wealth and his wisdom behind King David. It is not a time for tepid, mealy-mouthed, half-hearted responses, David is for the king and against his enemies, and he will do everything he can in his 80-year-old life, use all of his capacities, resources, to allow him to help God's anointed, King David. The application of this is extremely plain and very easy. For those of us that are older, the time is now to side with Jesus Christ. For those of you that are younger, the time is now to side with Jesus Christ. I was going to go into some applications of this in specificity. I'm not. Because when we do so, we often find that we don't have the same opinion about what the action should be. In fact, we often end up on definitely opposed points of view. It's the German soldiers going off to attack the Christian nation of France. And on them they have this tag, God mit uns. God with us. Two Christian nations fighting each other and contending with each other. I don't know what it is that God would have you do to be on the Lord's side at this time, but I'm telling you, this is a time when it's to be on the Lord's side. Definitely, unequivocally, regardless of your age or health, but this is to older people. It's a time to be on the Lord's side. There's a great victory that's won. Absalom is killed. And it's time for King David to cross the Jordan River and go back to his capital in Jerusalem. And down comes Barzillai. I turn to chapter 19. And we'll start in verse 31. Now Barzillai the Gileadite had come down from Regalum and he went off to King David to the Jordan to escort him over the Jordan. Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. He provided food while, he, while David stayed at Manaheim. He was a very wealthy man. David said to Barzillai, Come over with me and I'll provide for you and me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, How many years do I still have left to live that I should go up with the King Jerusalem. I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasing and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or drinks? Can I listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my Lord the King? Your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the King. Why should the King repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant return. That I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. Barzillai, oh, my friend, you who sided with me, I'm going up to Jerusalem. Come with me, come with me. What a time we'll have together. Now, David, listen. I'm old. I can't see what's good or bad. My taste buds are gone. I, I can barely hear what you're saying, for goodness sakes. I'll go with you a little way across the Jordan. It's nice and flat there. You see, Barzilia I could look and see what was before him. In about a dozen mile journey, there is a 3,000 foot ascent from the below sea level plain of Jordan up to the 2,800 foot Above sea level area of Jerusalem. It's an area of switchbacks. It's a difficult, painful road. How could that 80 year old man get up there? I'm sorry, don't honor me like this. I've been for you and I am now, but I've got somebody else in mind here. And here's the man that he has in mind and mindfulness of the new generation in the middle of 37. But here's your servant, Chimham. Now some people pronounce it Kimham. Chimham, let him go over with my lord the king and do whatever seems good to you. The king answered, Chimham shall go with me and I'll do for him whatever seems good to you. Barzillai has a younger man in mind. It's possibly his son. I'll say likely his son, Chimham. His name means longing desiring. It's beyond wishing. It's something that you really hope for, long for. Take Chimham with you. Let him experience all that I would experience. Let him see the glory of your triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Let him rejoice in the armies marching in victory. Let him see you for who you are, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the King. What experience does Chimham has now because of the words of an older man? And dear older ones, that's what we need to do to bring younger people into the experience of knowing and experiencing the great God and King Jesus Christ. The blessing goes on beyond that. Not just the personal blessing for Chimham, for Chimham and his sons. It says in Second Kings as David is going to be dying, he says to his son Solomon, now be sure that you're loving to Chimham and his sons. They brought me good food when I was over on the east side of Jerusalem. And then it goes hundreds of years beyond that. Chimham seems to have settled in the area that we would call Bethlehem and that he called Bethlehem as well. Turn up to Jeremiah, please. Jeremiah 41. Verse 17. And they went and stayed at Geruth, Chimham, near Bethlehem. Geruth. What a strange name. Geruth means temporary habitation. And they also went up and stayed at the temporary habitation, Chimham, near Bethlehem. Let me phrase it in ways that we'll understand it. Go up and stay in Chimham's inn in Bethlehem. The inn at Bethlehem. Now you guys might be as incredulous as me. Now come on, Phil. You're pushing that. What do you mean, Chimham's inn? going to try to link that with the inn where the Lord Jesus Christ couldn't be born because there was no room for Him? Sure I am. (laughs) Because others have. Chimham's inn was famous. It was known back at that time. And it was called Chimham's Inn, the Inn at Bethlehem. Who knows what blessing, dear older people, we can give to younger people, to those that follow them, and to the generations to follow that. That the blessing of Jesus Christ being right there in their midst might be fulfilled. All because Barzillai, this older man had a commitment to a new generation. Turn up to Luke chapter 2, please. Luke 2. Anna, grace, gracious. Anna, please tell us. What's the word of the Lord today? Anna, you know the word of the Lord. Tell us all. Please tell us. Dear ones, I have no word for you today. The Lord has not spoken to me. I I do have this word. It's for every one of us and every day. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's the word of the Lord for every one of us, every day. Now, you be content with that. I have to go to the temple as I usually do. Perhaps tomorrow. And such would be in Anna's life. They would come to her and they'd say, what's the word of the Lord? Because Anna was a prophetess. Let's read here in Luke 2, verse 36. There was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then was a widow until she was 84 years of age. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at the very hour, and let me insert, when Mary, Joseph, Jesus, and Simeon were there, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Jesus to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel, Anna is a prophetess. She's in the line of prophets that we know of. Miriam, the sister of Moses, was a prophetess. Then 300 years later, Deborah gave her prophecy to Barak in the time of the judges. 500 years after that, we have Huldah the prophetess giving her word to King Josiah. And now 600 years after Huldah, we have Anna the prophetess, giving her prophetic ministry. And Anna is not the last woman to be prophesying. Fifty years after Anna at the church of Corinth, there are women that are praying and prophesying. And ten years after that, in Caesarea, we have four daughters of John, the deacon evangelist that prophesied to Christians in Caesarea. Anna is of a goodly heritage. Her father's name means the face of God. After seven years of marriage, Anna, a widow, has continued to minister night and day in the temple. What a remarkable woman Anna is. There is nothing for her to do in the temple. She's not a priest. She can't offer the sacrifices. She's not a Levite. She can't bring wood to the altar. She can't carry the ashes out. She can't clean the vessels and the spoons and the other materials that are used in sacrifice. Why, in the temple, she's not even allowed the inner areas. Women are stopped at a particular court and then the men can go in. What in the world can Anna do at 84 years of age? She can prophesy. She can pray. She can fast. And she can tell others of what is to come. We older ones can do this. Dear Christian women, you can do this. What an example for all of us. At my age, there are things I cannot do that I used to be able to do. But I can do what Anna did. I can pray. As long as God gives me strength, I can proclaim. That's what prophecy means the foretelling of the word of god she honors the messiah she knows the messiah is coming she knows it from genesis deuteronomy job psalms isaiah daniel zechariah it's filled with this coming one she knows from isaiah unto us a child is born unto us a son is given Perhaps she's thinking of Psalm 11 or in the book of Habakkuk where the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Perhaps she's thinking of a time where the glory of God was so great that the priests were forced out of the temple during Solomon's time. Or perhaps, dear Anna, coming on this day, at this time, is overheard a man named Simeon who now holds in his arms a two-month-old baby named Jesus with Mary and Joseph standing by. He says, Let your servant now depart in peace because what you have promised me has come to fulfillment. I have seen your salvation. It's in this little child. And Anna, hearing that, And perhaps from her own prophetic insight, she now joins in this. And she is determined to tell all others about it. It says it right here in our passage. At that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Jesus to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Redemption. My goodness, what she knows about redemption from the years past has now had new meaning. The songs that she sang from the Psalms, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's from Psalm one hundred three, who redeems your life from destruction and crowns you with loving kindness. Psalm one hundred seven, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The story of Ruth would now be brought to her in magnificence, the kinsman redeemer. (laughs) When she hears Job in his book saying, Behold, my Redeemer lives how this will thrill Anna in her prophetic ministry as she speaks about the fulfillment of all of that that's been there in the Old Testament. And she tells everyone, everyone who's looking for the redemption of Israel, He's here. I've seen Him. I know Him. Dear older Christian women, may God bless you in the ministry that you have in proclaiming the truth of God to us. May your prophetic ministry be of such an encouragement to us as you tell forth the word of God that you've experienced in your life that God has brought to you. Now, agreeable Lois, the children are in the back. It's five after twelve. I'll have to leave that to you. It's a meditation on grandmothers and all that they have as far as blessing is concerned. I do want to make sure I make these thoughts at the end. These people, Caleb, Barzillai, Anna, and Lois, didn't just suddenly appear on the scene. It comes from a lifetime of commitment to the Lord. This is a message for you younger folks out there. You younger kids that are in your forties and (laughs) fifties. And you even younger ones. You don't just suddenly become loyal to the king. You don't just suddenly give your wealth to the king when he's in retreat. You don't just suddenly become prophetic in your ministry. It comes from a lifetime of commitment. It's not the first step or the last step. It's the first step and the last step and all the steps in between. Now, doesn't mean that you'll live a perfect life. Dear God, may God help me if I had to live a perfect life and be up here proclaiming the Word of God today. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner who's been saved by the grace of God and that salvation gospel still goes on in my life. The need for God's grace to effectively cause me to walk forward for His sake and for His glory and He does the same for you. It is the grace of God that carries us on. Sustaining grace. Fulfilling grace. So commit your life to the Lord so in your older age you can minister like these folks have. There is the aspect of the breadth of their ministry from very poor to very rich. From being a widow to, when Lois' case, helping out those that are going to be missionaries. God sees everything, every act, no matter how large or how small. Dear grandmothers, do you think that God is not seeing the babysitting ministry that you're doing and is blessed by it and encourages you in it? God bless you, dear grandmothers. Finally, there's the issue of poor health. Phil, all the people you've talked about so far, except for Barzillai, they seem to be in pretty good health. Well, we have Jacob, David, and Elisha that are all in very poor health in their latter years. We have Peter being told in John 21, you're going to have to have somebody else dress you and they'll lead you someplace that you don't want to go to. That very well describes older age. My mother telling me, Phil, you wouldn't believe what happened today. A man came in. He undressed me. He took me to the shower. He showered me. (laughs) And then he put my clothes back on. (laughs) It's the first time that's ever happened to me. I know, Mom. It's the care that they're giving you here and you need it. Those kinds of experiences that you have in poor health God can still use you this day. I think of Joe and Joyce Perriel this morning, and they are ministering to Joyce's older mother. Now, Annie may not be aware of it, but what she's doing in her older life is she's giving her daughter and son-in-law the chance to minister to her. What a blessing from God to give us the chance to minister to those that are older, even in their ill health. Thank you for being so patient and listening. Thanks to the kids for not going too wild down in the basement. Let's have a closing word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the ministry that older people can have among us. Thank you for your graciousness to me, Lord, that you've given me 70 years and now I'm into my 73rd. And because of that, it's your strength that's being revealed in my life. Thank you, dear God, for such graciousness and goodness on your part. Bless us now today as we go to our homes, keep us safe as we go. Thank you for every single member, every single person that's a part of the family of God.